everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome into the Bell Ringer podcast hosted by Sixers Wire of USA Today Sports Media Group. I'm your host, the editor of the Sixers Wire site, Kai Carlin. Now today, guys, we have a very special episode for you guys today. I'm welcoming in the managing editor of our sister site, Rookie Wire, Cody Taylor, in with us today to talk all things rookies. We're talking Matisse, we're talking Mariel, we're talking the 2020 draft. We might get into some coaching stuff as well. Also, I have to tell everybody why breakfast is for cowards. We're going to get into that as well. So, but first, I want to introduce my man, Cody. Cody, what's going on, bro? Not too much, Kai. How's everything going, man? It's going good, man. Things are opening back up. The world just kind of begins to slowly take steps forward back to uh, what it was pre-COVID. You know, we're going to continue to take slow steps forward. But as long as we can take those steps forward, hey, I'm all for it. So, <laughs> Cody, man. I got, I, last time we had you on, I think we had you on back in like April or, or May. It was during, basically during the quarantine era, mm-hmm. the quarantine period of America of 2020. So when we talked, last talked with you, we talked about Matisse. And I wanted to get your thoughts on Matisse now that we were able to kind of see him post-league uh, suspension and into the bubble and into the playoffs. What, what were kind of your thoughts on, on, the, on this really impressive rookie this season? Yeah, I think uh, he was probably when 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 I look at this 2019 draft class, he was probably one of my most favorite rookies to cover, just because you know when you, you when you factor in what he does on the court, he's such he's he's fun to watch. And and granted, we know he's not the best offensive player. That's still that was one of his biggest knocks uh, coming into the year. Uh, based based on what we saw defensively, like he has the potential to be a, a real star, a real two way star in this league. And then of course, when you factor in his personality off the court, I am still sad that we no longer have the Matisse uh, bubble videos. Uh, that was great content. Um, as I'm sure most fans are upset as well. And then when you factor in his personality off the court, you know, last year I, I did a story actually about this time of year when they did uh, the rookie transition program. And I had the opportunity to speak with Matisse uh, who was, who took part in the four day event. And at that point I knew he was going to be probably a pretty good, good rookie to cover considering his personality and what, and, and just, you know, his overall knowledge of the game and, you know, his understanding of the game. And so, um, you know, he's a very open guy. He talks, he, he likes to talk and, you know, he's been, been very fun to cover. And then, you know, when you look at what he did in the playoffs, I think, um, you know, he did about as good as job as you can do defending a player like Jason Tatum. And of course, you know, we're, you're not going to completely stop a player like, Jason Tatum, James Hart, like all these players are not going to be completely stopped. But when you make life difficult for them and can hold them to, you know, two and nine shooting, I think it was one of the games, then that's going to be something you can build on moving forward. Obviously, the Sixers as a whole didn't look great against the Celtics and were, of course, swept. But, um, you know, moving forward, I think that's a big piece that you can build around. Yeah. And you mentioned his offense and obviously he's got a lot of work to do uh, on the offensive end. He's going to earn playing time right now because of his defense. And I feel like for him to really hold down a consistent rotation spot moving forward, though, he does have to improve uh, as a three-point shooter. He did shoot 35.7% from deep this year. That's a solid number. But if you really look at Matisse's trends all throughout the year, he started off the season really cold from deep. And then he had this really hot stretch in November going into December where he shot like 52% from deep. It was something crazy like that. And then he got hurt 
And then he came back from being hurt and he shot like only 21% from deep. Then the suspension happened. He came back, didn't shoot all that well. And then I think he shot like one for four from deep in the playoffs or something like that. Do you think though that that's going to really, I want to say, I guess, cause a hindrance for him next season? Because let's just say the Sixers draft a shooter at 21, right? Let's say they go after a guy like Tyrell Terry or they get a guy like Grant Riller or they go for, you know, a legitimate or Jamias Ramsey, a legitimate shooter. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, that guy is shooting the lights out, and that makes the offense look a little, I guess I want to say, cleaner, a little more spaced out. Do you think that's going to hurt Matisse moving forward if he doesn't come back with a three-point shot? Yeah, I think so. Um, and, you know, I, I actually view it kind of not a surprise, but I found it a little interesting that, you know, Brad did play Matisse for upwards of 30, 35 minutes a game, considering he didn't really add much offensively. And I think you know, as great as he can be on defense, you know, that's only going to get you so far. You eventually got to put up some points and, and make knock down some shots. So I think that's going to be something that that he works on this offseason, of course. Um, and as you said, he was you just had three different stretches of the year, cold, hot and in between where you're not really sure what he can do. And, you know, he's shown signs of, of being able to, to to drive a little bit, but that's not what the Sixers want him to do. They want him to stand in the corner and knock down the shots. Um, so if he can get that, that's going to be something that he has to do, continue to improve on. Because like you said, if you add another shooter, either through the draft or free agency, I know they're limited there, but that's going to make him, you know, look, not look bad, but it's not going to look make him look great considering that he's that, that offensive game that he has is still a work in progress. Right. And moving forward, like, I love Matisse Thibault. I think Thibault had such an impressive rookie season, especially for where they got him. They, they drafted him 20th in the draft. It, it, was a, um, it was a trade with the Boston Celtics to kind of move mm-hmm. up. It was kind of a head scratcher at the time. Everybody was like, why would you do that? Um, but instead, Matisse really came out, and he was just absolutely impressive. He was great on the defensive end. He led all rookies in steals. I think he was like fifth or sixth in blocks amongst his rookie class, which is crazy when you consider the fact that he, he he's a he's a perimeter player. He's mm-hmm. a perimeter player, and he was fifth. He, he was in the one of the top shot blockers of his rookie class. Um, the only thing is, though, he, as you mentioned, Cody, he didn't have a, a really an offensive game, and that's always the biggest thing. He needs to come back with some type of offensive uh, consistent offensive game from the perimeter because – when they drafted him, Elton Brand said, we want him to be a 3 and D player. We want him to be in here and just defend at an elite level, which he did, and then knock down the three-point shot, which he w- he only did really for stretches. And you mentioned it in the playoffs. He did an okay job against Jason Tatum. Uh, he held him to two for nine shooting in game one. That earned him a start in game two. Tatum kind of shook him off a little bit because, as you mentioned, Cody, you are not going to just hold down a guy like that. Tatum shook him off, scored as many points as he did. I think it was – I would give Thibault a grade of, like, a C-plus this year, mainly because of the fact that his offensive game really did hold him back a little bit. And I was surprised that Brett play, that Brett Brown played him as much as he did just because of the fact that he really couldn't knock down any shots. So, yeah, I'd give him a C-plus this year for his rookie season. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably go – I'd probably go in the B range, B-minus, B-plus, probably B-minus considering based on his offensive limitations are over the, over the quarantine I did probably March or April. I want to say I, I redrafted 
the 2019 draft on rookie wire. And, you know, I, I made the, the statement like, all right, you, you typically need like five years to do a redraft to get a real sense of, of how it played out. Um, but because of the circumstances of, of quarantine, I decided to re- do a, an, a, an early redraft. And I think I had Matisse around 14 or 15 uh, in that range up from 20, just because he has outplayed some of his other rookies. And for various reasons, some haven't played, some were injured, yada, yada, yada. But um, I think considering where they got him, considering that the expectations probably weren't that high of him as a rookie to come in and, and really make a true big impact on, on that team that has championship aspirations. I think he, he performed well, uh, you know, considering the circumstances, but um, you know, he, he looked like, uh, you know, on defense, he just, he so showed instincts and signs of a player. That's not a rookie. He didn't look like a rookie on, on, on defense. And, you know, I made a bold prediction prior to the beginning of the year that he'd finish I think it was top five among all players in steals, which was bold to say the least, but I think he ended up finishing like 16th or something among all players. So he has those instincts, that hustle ability uh, on that end of the floor. And once that, once his offensive game can come around and, and, you know, he doesn't need to be a player that puts up 20, 25 points a game. The Sixers know that he knows that he just has to be, you know, maybe a, a, a 10 and five rebound kind of guy or, or something like that, a couple steals. And I think, uh, you know, the Sixers will, will really have something there. Yeah, because he only averaged 4.7 points a game this year. Right. Which, that, like, that's not going to be – like, that's not good enough. Like, even even when you're coming off the bench, you got to at least pour in somewhere between 8 and 11, maybe 12 points a night. And, again, you know, I go back to the stretches earlier. There, there was this really just hot stretch, and he was doing it against, like, really good opponents. Like, I think against the Toronto Raptors at home in December, he shot – he shot, like – I think he hit, like, five threes. And he scored 18 or 20 points or something like that. Like the kid has offensive talent, offensive game. It's clear, but he just, he really needs to find his consistency. And that was always going to be the, um, you know, the always going to be the deciding factor when it comes to Thibault. That was always going to be uh, where he was going to be judged at. Now, defensively, we talked, you mentioned it. We talked about it. We go at it ad nauseum. The kid is just absolutely incredible. Uh, and looking back at his rookie season, um, Really, the most impressive performances to me were whenever they matched up with Boston because he did a hell of a job against Tatum and Jalen Brown, and there were a few times he switched on to Kemba Walker. I think there was one play opening night off the top of my head where Walker got right by him and Thibault just came up behind him. That Those instincts, that length, rejected his shot. It was really impressive for a kid making his NBA debut. There were a time when they would play a, the uh, faceoff against the Clippers, and he really held his own against Kawhi Leonard. Now, Kawhi Leonard got buckets because we're talking about Kawhi Leonard. But the way Thibault got into him, bothered him, forced him into tough shots, really impressive to me. Moving forward, though, do you think he can be – where do you think his ceiling's at? Like, do you think he can be a starter in this league? Do you think he's maybe a six-man? Like, like what, what do you think he's kind of at moving forward? Yeah, based on what, what we saw this year and if you factor in a gradual improvement – over the next few years on offense, I still think he's probably going to be a guy that comes off the bench and gives you, you know, 20, 25 minutes a game because, you know, he was playing, um, you know, 32 minutes that game one, but um, probably right in that range. And, you know, if that's, if you can get him consistently at, you know, like I mentioned, like 10, 12 points per game, five rebounds or so, and a couple steals, a couple blocks and, he's going to be matched up on the best player on the opposing team. 
then I think that's something that you can build on and in, in moving forward. Um, when you start having him in the starting lineup, I think based on what we saw in the, in the playoffs, you know, he based on his limited offensive game. And I think that's, that's probably not, that may not work out well, um, you know, considering the Sixers want to, um, you know, want to compete for a championship, have, has the roster at this point to do so, or at least, you know, they, they want to compete for a championship. I think it'll be interesting to see the next head coach that comes in and, and what role they have mapped out for him, considering how good he is off or uh, how good he is defensively and offensively. So I think that's going to be interesting to see, you know, among the coaching candidates out there, how they, how they want to monitor that and then how they kind of want to move forward with the rest of the roster as well. Now, let, now let's get over to the, the other rookie that the Sixers had this year. And then he's pretty much spent the entire season uh, in the G League with the Delaware Bluecoats. And that is Mariel Shayok, who Philadelphia drafted late in the second round last year. Now, you had, you had Shayok pretty high on your best, you know, G League players of the season and everything. I think he was ranked number one, if I'm not mistaken. He had a hell of a year mm -hmm. uh, for the Bluecoats. He finished the season averaging 23 points. Uh, he pulled down 5.8 rebounds. He dished out 3.8 assists. He shot 35.6% from deep. W what did you see out of Shayok? Because, I mean, the few games I watched, I went to Delaware uh, one time, actually right before the league suspension. I went there March 8th to cover a, a game for the Bluecoats. And what, 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 was, what was your impression of Mariel this year? Only 24 years old. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I remember ranking those players. And I remember he, to me, he finished – I think he finished third or fourth in, in the G League in scoring. Uh, he wasn't the MVP. But, you know, when I watched him and, and I would check in from time to time when things in the NBA were slow, he's just a, a guy that, that can give you buckets. And, um, you know, he averaged 23 games, uh, 23 points per game and, you know, shot it well from, from deep. And he, you know, obviously he didn't play much in the playoffs or at all, if I'm not mistaken. But, um, you know, that's a guy that I think – considering where they got him, what, you know, what contract he's on can be a player that can come off the bench and, and give you some, some, some minutes. You know, I think that's all we talked about Matisse and, and what kind of role he might have in the future as well. I think, you know, when you look at Mario and what, what he brings, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see what, what they can, what they map out for him as well. Um, so, I mean, this is a player that he had 42 points one game in the G league. And I, and I know it's, it's not the NBA, but there are some talented players in the G league and we're seeing more players each year signed to contracts brought up and, and making a, making an impact. And so, you know, I, I remember I talked to him around that same time uh, that shortly after the season was suspended. And when you look at that, you know, the Sixers have gone, have dipped into their pool of, of G league players and, brought them up and they've performed well, I, you know, I think that that's a role that could potentially happen with him where, you know, he spent most of this year in the G League. Moving forward, he has shown that he can make an impact on the court. And I think that the Sixers probably should, should take a look at that. They should. He played four games with the Sixers this year. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, he played like two or three during the, the bubble uh, mm -hmm. the seeding games down at Disney World in Orlando. And he finished – he averaged 2.8 points. He shot two for six from deep in his uh, time with the Sixers in those four games. And uh, as you mentioned, he didn't play in the playoffs. So he kind of built his, I guess, reputation in the G League as a three-point shooter. 
Um, he had, he shot seven and a half threes a night. So, you know, he, he, he definitely fired up a lot and he made 35.6% of them, which isn't a great number, but it's kind of around the NBA average. Mm-hmm. And considering the fact that the Sixers uh, could not find a single shooter in, in the playoffs against Boston, Tobias Harris shot two for 15 from deep the entire series. He didn't make, he didn't make any threes until the first quarter of game four. He shot 0 for 10 from deep in the first three games of that series. You know, maybe Shayok could, could have given the team a spark, but I understand why Brett didn't play him. Sure. He didn't play much this year. Spent a lot of time in the G League. You don't want to throw him out there against the Boston Celtics in the playoffs. It is what it is. <laughs> but No, 100%. Yeah, yeah, with, without a doubt. So, what do you think Shayok's ceiling is? Do you feel like he's maybe got to go one more season uh, in the G League next year? If there even is a G League season next year, there's a lot to kind of really work out for the NBA next season. Um, but do you think he kind of should stay one more year in the G League? Do you think he needs more development? And what do you think his ceiling is in the NBA next year or moving forward, I should say? Yeah, I think he, he has the potential there to, to be a, a role player. Um, you know, maybe the seventh or eighth man off the bench, not necessarily, um, you know, a, a huge role. But um, I think he's shown that he – you know, there are players uh, that we've seen over the years that in their development, they're in like a, an, a weird phase where it's like, all right, they played in the G League, they dominated the competition there. When they get to the NBA, you know, either the opportunity is not there or they kind of struggle a little bit to make an impact. And I think that's kind of where Mario falls in at this point where we saw what he did in the G League and we saw what um, the production that he gave. So, Right now, he's just at that point where, you know, the opportunity may not be there. And I think when you look at a lot of these these rosters that are built for championships, you know, obviously there's uh, there's Ben, Joe, uh, Al on, on the Sixers, got max contract type players that are eating up a lot of that salary cap. I think it's important for a lot of these teams to find those those role players on minimum deals, on very low contract numbers, dollar amounts and all that. So I think Mario could potentially be that, uh, probably not next season, but maybe in a season or two. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of these these players that make great contributions uh, in the playoffs this year and throughout the regular season. So I think that's probably a role that he'll eventually be able to fill. Now let's get into the 2020 NBA draft. Now the Sixers got blessed by the Oklahoma City Thunder having some very surprising success this year. And Philadelphia now owns the Thunder's pick, which came in at 21. Now, there are a couple of different options they can go here. They can look at a guy like Tyrell Terry, because Terry shot the ball very well for the Stanford Cardinal as a freshman. They can look at a guy like Grant Riller out of Charleston, a guy who can not only score efficiently at the rim and as a uh, three-point shooter, but Riller is, Riller is also a guy who can put the ball on the floor and create for himself and others, which is another thing the Sixers really sorely missed this year. They didn't really have a ball handler or creator. But the, but the third option, Cody, that really interests me the most is Philadelphia moving up in the draft. Like, that's something that I kind of entertained um, because the Sixers are, are a team that has a lot of holes. And I feel like at 21, they're not going to be able to find the shooter that they necessarily need. Now, Tyrell Terry is good, but you can go after a guy like Desmond Bain. You can look at Sadiq Bey. You could take a chance on Aaron Nesmith. There are a couple different guys, that the options they can go to. So if you're Elton Brand and you're heading into this draft with really a virtual combine that, we're, that they're going to be lucky to have in October and November, 
and the draft being pushed back now until November 18th, what do you think is the best option for Philadelphia moving forward? Do you stay at 21? Do you trade the pick? Do you move up? What do you do? Yeah, I, th- I think it's and, – and I think the, the head coach factors into this as well. Um, obviously, we don't know who that is, but, you know, um, when you when you look at a new coach coming in, they kind of want to get an idea of where – how the team's going to be. They, they're going to have their own ideas. And so, if you're the Sixers, I don't – necessarily know that moving up is is the best move just considering that you know this is a a team built to win right now and obviously you can go out and find pieces to add around the core players but you know as we saw obviously there's been a coaching change but as we've seen with Brett and then even other coaches around the league they're a little hesitant to play rookies these big minutes uh, in crunch time situations and in the playoffs and so when you factor that in, um, you know, I think it might be best for them to stay uh, where they are at, at 21, just considering that, you know, they can still find a, it, it looks like based on how a lot of projections are that they can still find a player that can come in and make an impact. And, you know, Desmond Bain is a guy that I think his name has been pretty hot uh, throughout this pre-draft process, which, has, uh, has stretched on for months now, it seems like. Um, but he's a guy that, that's moved up a lot. And, of course, you know, he's best known to be a three-point shooter. We have him in our latest mock draft at 18, obviously, before the Sixers are, are on the clock. So, you know, if you kind of got your eye on him, um, you know, maybe you look to, to move up a couple spots. But at that point, what are you giving up to do so? Is it worth it? Uh, and so on and so forth. But, um, you know, you mentioned Grant Riller, and I think that he's a he's a guy that can, you know, combo guard. He can play both guard positions. Um, one of the best in the nation at, at isolation scoring. Um, and so you, when you look at just kind of his his game and you can kind of see the pieces on where where he fits in and, you know, a, a pretty average, average, above average three-point shooter that, of course, the Sixers need and, and we'll probably take a look at if he's there on the board. Yeah, because the Sixers not only need a three-point shooter, obviously, but they also need a guy who can really put the ball on the floor and create for others, which mm-hmm. they have Josh Richardson and Richardson does that to like a certain extent, but the Richardson point guard minutes this year were just not good. Josh Richardson is not a point guard. So, and then they brought in Alec Burks and Burks is not really necessarily a point guard either. The only true, true point guard you had on this roster was Howell Neto, which you're not going to win like that. So you can go after a guy like Grant Riller, and he can fill in a different, a couple of different roles for you, especially since the Philadelphia now wants to move Ben Simmons off the ball and put him at the power forward spot and bring Al Horford off the bench. Mm-hmm. But the big thing for me, Cody, is the fact that they, they really need shooting. I mean, if worse comes to absolute worse, you can move Simmons back to the point guard spot and continue to have him run the offense and just kind of make it to where it was when you had J.J. Redick. And whoever you draft this year, you need to kind of develop him into that sort of role, which I think the best guy who can fill that role for me is Aaron Nesmith. Now, now Nesmith only played 14 games this year because of the injury, but he shot like something ridiculous, like 52% from deep, and he took eight threes a night. Uh, for Vanderbilt. It was something crazy like that. He just kept drilling them. And now you're taking a gamble because of the injury, 
But I feel like if you if if you really take that gamble, you trade up, bring in a guy like Nesmith, I feel like he's kind of the best fit, at least for me. But Desmond Bain can do a lot of different things as well. And that's why I think I think Elton Brand should at least entertain, you know, going into this draft. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you got to look at all your options on the table. And, you know, it, maybe even some of these players fall a little bit that that you're looking at. And so – yeah, shooting 52.2% from from deep on on those on those attempts on that volume is is he he has a place for him talking about Nesmith. He has a place for him on any team in the in the league. Especially right. when you're considering that, you know, the Houston Rockets are jacking up all these three-pointers per game and so is every other team. And so right. obviously there there there's some concerns with um, you know, his ability uh, inside the paint and around the rim and on defense. But I mean, if you're talking about a guy that can just come off the bench, shoot threes and, and, you know, sort of like what Matisse does, um, then, you know, that seems like that'd be a perfect fit for him. Um, But, you know, we were talking, talking about players that, that can handle the ball, run the offense and, you know, a name that I've seen and and watching this game, I like a lot is Teo Maladon. Uh, over from over in France, you know, so he's projected to go a little bit later in the first round. So you figure he'd be on the board and a guy who, who can run the offense. He's a pretty, about a 36, uh, 36% three point shooter over there. And considering the fact that he's playing against older, older players, um, you know, only being 18, I think that that bodes well for his future. We've seen, we've seen players that have played over in Europe, against older competition come over to the NBA and have some success. So when you consider that he's already kind of put forth a a pretty good uh, resume overseas, then that probably a player that you should, you should consider looking at. Now for all the people out there who aren't really, I guess, familiar with overseas basketball and, and really Maladon as a player, I'm pretty sure that's a name that a lot of people are going to be the first time hearing like, who the hell is that? Uh, I, I guess, how would you really describe his game? Is he more of a shooter? Is he more of a floor general? Like, what, what would you really say his game really is? Yeah, I think, you know, he's 6'4", and he, he runs he's, – he's long and skinny. Um, you know, our, our coworker, Brian Kalbrowski from Hoops Hype and helps out among all the USA Today sports sites, uh, has done a tremendous job with our, with our draft uh, coverage uh, throughout this process. And, and – talking to him he really likes him and um he has um uh, i can't remember where in our mock draft at the moment but you know, he 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 likes him and considering you know he he averaged 14.6 points 3.1 assist uh in the under 16 euro championship a few years ago um he helped france win the gold gold medal there so you know he has already at 18 has put together quite a resume um and he can create his own offense he can get others involved and coming, you know, catch and shoot, all, all the traits that you want, um, you know, a player to be as far as shooting wise, I think he checks a lot of those boxes. And um, obviously, there's still a lot of, of room to grow in his game. But I think he's somebody that you, sh- you should probably Sixers fans should familiarize themselves with. Yeah, because as you mentioned, the fact that he can run an offense, and that is something that is going to be on the mind of whoever the next coach is. And I guess we can kind of like segue into that. Um, Obviously Philadelphia fired Brett Brown after seven seasons. Uh, It was time. He put in his time with this team. It it was a good run for him. 
kind of going through the process era and, and then kind of getting them to where they were today. Good luck to Brett Brown and everything. But Billy Donovan and Teron Liu are kind of like the top two names on this list. And then also there's Ime Udoka, who is Philadelphia's top assistant, and he kind of runs their defense a little bit. But Udoka's name has been circling around, not just for Philadelphia, but for the Chicago Bulls, for the Indiana Pacers. Uh, he was in the running with the Brooklyn Nets and the New York Knicks before they made their hires as well. For me personally, I like Teron Liu. I think Liu makes the most sense. But Donovan also wouldn't be a, a, a bad choice either. Yeah, I like I like Teron Liu. Um, you know, Billy Donovan did a hell of a job this year with with the the Thunder. I don't think anyone's denying that. But I think over his five year tenure there uh, in OKC, I think it was I don't want to say mediocre because they made the playoffs and I believe every year, maybe every not year. Yeah. Um, so it's hard to call a coach mediocre when when you have that level of success. But when you look at how the Thunder were constructed, at least in the beginning of his career, uh, and some of the players they had over the rest of it, like they were built to go further in the playoffs than they did. Uh, there's right. a few first round exits uh, mixed in there. Of course, this year almost went to the second round, but um, you know, projecting where he lands is, is a bit tough because he wanted, he saw the Thunder are, are rebuilding and that's not necessarily what he wants to coach. He wants to coach a team like Philadelphia, who's built to win right now. However, I think when you look at it, I think Teron Liu um, coming in should be a name that the Sixers seriously consider just because we've seen what, what Teron's uh, done in the past, uh, of course, winning a championship in Cleveland. And he served as an assistant coach with a, a number of well-established coaches in the league. Doc Rivers right. uh, currently. So, um, you know, I, I think he would probably be the, the choice there um, just based on what we've seen him do with, with a lot of stars on the roster. And of course the Sixers have stars, personalities. I think Teron Liu would be best equipped to handle that. Yeah. I've always said it. And it's crazy to me out there that people think Teron Liu can't coach and, and how like everybody's all like, Oh, he only won because he had LeBron James yeah. and everything. But like, Again, though, I've always said this about coaching. You you have to have talent to win. Like, like, like it's, it's not like you're going to take, you know, Isaiah Cannon and Hollis Thompson to the NBA Finals. No, you, you're going to need some, some legitimate talent. Like, Phil Jackson won with Michael Jordan. He won with Kobe and Shaq. He, uh, Greg Popovich won with Tim Duncan, Kawhi Leonard, Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, and all of them. So, of course, you're going to have talent. The best thing about coaching is – and this is going to be a, a telltale sign all the time is how are you going to manage the egos and get everybody to buy into your game plan and continue to go out there and, and win and play hard. And I feel like Toronto did a hell of a job at that with Cleveland. Because if you can get LeBron James and Kyrie Irving to listen to you and you can hold them accountable, yeah. that's a sign of a good coach. 100%. And, you know, I, you know, you mentioned that a lot of people viewed Toronto as, as not a great coach and only succeeded because of having LeBron. It reminds me of the argument when the big three were in Miami with Eric Spolstra. You know, they got off to that really bad start uh, that first year they were all together. And people were like, you know, questioning Eric Spolstra. I think he did a hell of a job. He has done a hell of a job. And when you look at what they had for some of those years and, and going – borderline playoff team to make in the playoffs. I think that what separates great coaches 
from mediocre coaches and so on. And so I think that Teron Liu um, can, can do that with, with those personalities. And I think that's an area as well that maybe Billy Donovan didn't necessarily excel at because, of course, they had Russ for a number of years, um, they had Paul George, KD was there. So I think, you know, when, when you look at those two names, um, and of course, there'll be others as well, I think it, 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 it's important for that coaching candidate to manage those personalities, like you mentioned. Yeah, especially, especially with this team when it comes to Simmons and Embiid, because uh, that's, that's always kind of been the, uh, the biggest question mark when it comes to Philadelphia. Are you going to hold Ben Simmons accountable for not shooting jump shots? Are you going to hold Joel Embiid accountable for not being in shape, quote unquote? It, so, like, the, the, and Josh Richardson mentioned it after they they lost Game Four. Richardson said, "I like Brett Brown, but I feel like there needs to be more accountability too." So, and Richardson comes from the Miami Heat, yeah. where you know Pat Riley and Eric Spolstra they created that culture of hard work, identity, accountability, and Riley and Spolstra will get into you if you're not doing your job. And I think Richardson even mentioned that the Heat had a conditioning test before the conditioning test for training camp. So there, there was something like that, too. So it's, just, it's a different culture in Miami than what he experienced here in Philadelphia. There's, there's a lot that really goes into building a culture, building an identity, building, building a team. It's not just the players. You need to have that accountability to be able to move forward. I feel like Teron Lou really does a hell of a job with that. Uh, and, I, and I really do believe he's going to be the best option for this team. Uh, as much as I like Billy Donovan. So I'm going to end this off by with a controversial hot take and say that breakfast is for cowards. <laughs> <laughs> I take it you didn't have breakfast today. Of course not. It's for cowards. I refuse to eat breakfast because you should be waking up already ready to go, man. You shouldn't be needing fuel as soon as you wake up. That's what sleep is for. Breakfast is for cowards. Just wait until you eat lunch. Uh, around 11:30 noon. Also, Batman still sucks. He's an overrated superhero. I'm still going to push that out there. I'm pushing that narrative, man. <laughs> you will not stop with that narrative. Um, but you were missing out on so many good breakfast foods. Uh, am I though? Am when was the last time you had breakfast? Last time I had breakfast was actually uh, this past Sunday, I went with my mom because she likes breakfast, and like, and she's moving to Florida. She left me the other day, oh, so yeah. I was like, I was like, all right, mom, I'll go with you to get some breakfast. We went to a Cracker Barrel, and you know, I had like uh, some pancakes or or whatever. But like, pancakes, it was kind of like waffles, breakfast burritos, eggs. You're yeah. missing out on so much stuff. Am I though? <laughs> eggs are overrated. Man. Eggs. Egg, you, are, you are bringing the hot takes today. That is for sure. Eggs are overrated. I can I can deal with pancakes and waffles. Like, if you're going to make me some pancakes and waffles, sure. But, like, I mean, eh, am I really missing out on eggs? I mean, come on. <laughs> There's <laughs> nothing better than going to brunch and going through the line, all you can eat, and just getting all the bacon, all the breakfast potatoes, pancakes and then topping it all off with just syrup that's that's how you live right there or i could like wait for lunchtime and get myself a nice fajita or like a quesadilla or something you know like like something or a burger you know you know like like real food real, real food. food so you you know pizza that or something like that come on man yeah i'll disagree with you on the breakfast uh <laughs> batman i'm not a huge uh i don't really 
I'm not a huge comic book uh, person anymore, so I really don't have a have a take on on who's better or who's worse. But uh, I know there's a lot of people that disagree with you about Batman, though. Listen, that that's totally fine. Bring it. I want all the smoke. I, I, I want it all. <laughs> Batman has been losing to a clown for decades. Decades. He's a clown. Decades. I'm not about it. He keeps losing to this clown. I'm not about it. I can't respect it. Cody, I want to thank you a lot for coming on and taking time out of your day and talking some rookies with us, talking Matisse, Mario, little 2020 NBA draft action, a little coaching uh, speculation for Philadelphia. I appreciate it, Cody. You're the man. Thank you so much. Hey, no problem, man. Anytime. So that'll do it. For Cody Taylor, I'm Kai Carlin. We're out. We'll see you guys next time on The Bell Ringer. 